Inside ADHD is ADHD Family's official podcast that provides parents with current research about ADHD and strategies for helping their children. ADHDfamilies.ca is a resource website for parents of children who have ADHD. All of the resources have been evaluated by experts in the field of ADHD, so parents can feel confident that they are receiving trustworthy information. For more information, visit ADHDfamilies.ca, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or your favorite podcast player. If you have a specific ADHD topic that you would like to hear about on our podcast, please send your suggestions to ADHDfamilies at canlearnsociety.ca. My name is Krista Foran. I'm a registered psychologist at the CanLearn Society in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and a team member of ADHDfamilies.ca. Welcome to week three of ADHD Awareness Month, where we tackle different ADHD myths. Before we get to today's myth, I just wanted to share um, some listener feedback that we received. Um, We had asked all our listeners to send in... Um, their stories about how they bring awareness to ADHD, how they advocate for themselves or for their child, and also um, any myths for them that they have come to realize are untrue or unhelpful for them. So one parent um, shared with us that after learning more about ADHD, she decided to use things like visual schedules, checklists, Uh, visual reminders instead of constantly verbally reminding her son. Uh, Which I think is very important because that approach helps to not only give the child some autonomy and choice in how they um, get things done throughout the day, such as getting ready for school or things like that, but it also decreases the amount of verbal reminding that goes from parent to child that can sometimes result in conflict or arguing um, or just feeling tired of of, um, being nagged or being the one who is nagging. Um, This parent also shared that she's making a better effort to give her son more positive comments or positive reinforcement when he is doing something positive or he's complying with a request that she's made. And I also also think it's very important to highlight this because it's always easier for us to make comments when children are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, but we often forget to thank them or just simply point out to them when they are doing something positive. And they really need that positive feedback to know that people are noticing their effort. So that's just something for all of us to keep in mind, is to try to remember to really notice those positive moments and to say thank you or to point it out to the child. So today's myth 
is myth number three in our five-week series, so this is the middle one, and it is that people with ADHD are lazy. And this is a probably a pretty popular one, and and one that sort of is in our culture and our kind of societal understanding about what ADHD is. And the reason why I think it's important is because this can also contribute to um, feelings of guilt and low self-esteem in individuals who have ADHD because not only maybe do they view themselves as lazy, um, family, friends, and society might be using that term as well. I think viewing people who have ADHD as lazy is not positive and it's not really an accurate um, perspective to take. People with ADHD certainly do have difficulties with motivation and that's what I'm going to be talking about today, but it's certainly important to understand why that is so that we don't view people with ADHD as lazy. I have definitely have to say that many of the children and adults with whom that I work with demonstrate to me that all they want is to do a good job, to not let their friends and family down, just like everybody else. And they have the same dreams and goals and desires as everybody else. They just have more difficulty organizing and executing their plans to make those goals reality. So I do want to talk about a little bit more about the neurological basis of ADHD, but particularly today related to motivation. So there's a pathway in the brain that is involved in our, what we would call, internal reward or reinforcement system. So this is a pathway that helps us understand what we should do in order to get something that we want or something that is desirable to us. So uh, uh, an easy example would be studying for a math test so you can do well and get a good grade. Now this pathway connects parts of the frontal cortex. So if you remember from previous podcasts, that's the executive function system. So the planning, the organizing, the time management. With um, another structure called the striatum, which is located in the basal ganglia, which is that structure which is involved in things like voluntary motor movement. And if you remember from a previous podcast, uh, that we did talk about the basal ganglia, so it is motor movement, things like balance and posture, but also learning procedures, habits, and it is involved in rewards and reinforcement. So research has shown that there's actually low levels of activity in this reward pathway in individuals who have ADHD. So how do we see this low level of activity in the brain in everyday life? Well, the person with ADHD would have difficulty processing information related to rewards and may anticipate rewards to happen sooner than they actually will. They often prefer immediate rewards to delayed rewards. This contributes to what we might see as a lack in motivation to engage in activities that do not provide either a big, eno a big enough payoff or where the payoff is too far away in the future or the payoff is not seen as important to the person. So you can see how uh, lower levels of activity in this reward pathway in the brain can actually affect a person's um, ability to be motivated for things that 
in other people who don't have ADHD are just considered typical, normal things to be motivated for. So a student may have difficulty getting motivated to study for that math test because they have difficulty seeing how studying is going to get them anything desirable in that current moment, now. Or the activity is boring and tedious to begin with. Or getting a good grade is not a big enough motivator to encourage the student to study. So you can see where this, can, this issue with the motivation and the reward system can cause real issues in real life situations. This is why video games are so enticing to individuals with ADHD. Because they're fast paced and there is constant rewards within the game for certain actions taken by the person who's playing. So when parents are sort of confused by the fact that their child can't sit still and do their homework, but could sit for hours and hours and hours playing video games, consider what you now know about the reward pathway in the brain and how that affects motivation for people with ADHD. This problem with motivation and seeing future rewards, so having to wait for something, is also related to what Russell Barkley talks about when he says individuals with ADHD have difficulty with seeing the future. They have difficulty connecting what they are currently doing or what they're expected to be doing with a future consequence or a future goal. So example, if I put in the work now, I will be able to pass my math test and that grade will be high enough to get me into, into the university program that I am interested in. That's being able to see a future goal, something that's not going to happen right away. So now that we've sort of talked about the neurological basis of ADHD in particular motivation, it's important to understand how environmental characteristics or um, situations that you can be in could make your ADHD symptoms better or worse. And this is kind of similar to our previous podcast where we talked about parenting. That parenting certainly isn't a cause of ADHD, but it can certainly contribute to the better or the worsening of ADHD symptoms. So let's talk about the environment. So depending on the situation and the demands of the situation, people with ADHD may present with more or less symptoms. So for example, we could think of a child who's got um, a lot of energy or hyperactivity, how they would behave in recess versus in, in a classroom setting. In recess, that symptom of hyperactivity or physical restlessness may be less impairing or less of a problem for that child, and it also may be less obvious to observers or people watching that child play because it's socially appropriate to be more energetic, perhaps to be running around, to be loud during recess time. So that's a situation or an environment where that symptom is um, has less of a negative impact on the child. When the child is in the classroom and they're expected to sit still, listen, and be quiet, their symptoms of hyperactivity or physical restlessness are going to be a lot more obvious to those around them and therefore a lot more uh, troubling or impairing to the child. 
So let's think about situations or environments which, in which individuals with ADHD may actually have more difficulty because of this uh, issue or problem with the reward pathway in the brain. So the first one is when their behavior is restricted. So just like I said, having to sit in a quiet classroom and listen to a teacher or an adult having to sit in a long staff meeting at work. Another one is when the more complicated the task is and the more planning that is required. So you need sustained attention and focus for those kinds of tasks, like completing a large project for school or perhaps an adult who has to clean out their garage. Um, familiar settings where people and tasks or environments are familiar to the child may be more difficult for them um, because it's sometimes familiar may equal boring. It's not new, it's not exciting. Um, so the beginning of the school year may actually be easier for some children with ADHD because everything is still new to them. This could also be for, say, an adult who uh, an adult with ADHD who starts a new job and they've got a lot of great enthusiasm and they're doing quite well. Their symptoms are sort of masked by the novelty of the situation. But soon after, you know, a certain amount of time passes, their symptoms start to come out again because things are less new and, and maybe certain aspects of that job or that classroom are now boring to them. Um, another one is tasks that are not very stimulating. So research has shown that children with ADHD do better when educational material and activities they're working with are highly stimulating. So this could be an example of, you know, a computer game that teaches math facts versus using paper flashcards. Um, another situation here where individuals with ADHD might have more difficulty is when rewards for certain behaviors are not given immediately. People with ADHD often have a problem with immediate gratification, which means they need to have the reward or the result of their action come immediately after it. They prefer immediate rewards as opposed to waiting for a reward. So parents may find that using, say, a sticker chart where their child earns a reward at the end of the week is less effective than if they earn something every day. And the last setting or situation in which individuals with ADHD may have more difficulty is in group activities. So children tend to do better with staying focused and getting things done when they're actually working more one-on-one -on -one with somebody. So these children may have more difficulty working in a group or listening to the teacher speak to the whole class compared to having someone sit with them one-on-one -on -one and keep them on track. So it's just really important to understand that people with ADHD, children with ADHD are not lazy. They have very real differences in their brain functioning that contribute to differences in their motivation. But we always have to keep in mind that, that they're just as interested as anybody else in experience, experiencing successes in their daily lives. So parents and teachers are encouraged to consider what I just talked about, the environmental characteristics that make ADHD symptoms worse and try to create environments or situations for children that support them in more targeted ways. 
So here's what we can do with all those um, environmental characteristics that might make the ADHD actually worse. Here's some suggestions. So ensure that the child has unstructured time each day to just be themselves rather than always expecting them to sit still and pay attention. So this could be allowing children to go play with their friends in the neighborhood. Help them break down larger projects and tasks into smaller pieces and guide them through each step. That really helps with reducing the overwhelm that comes up with having to sort of figure out where do I start, how do I do this, how do I get it done, how long is it going to take me. When you break things down into steps too, you can actually have small rewards at the end of each step, so you're kind of also capitalizing on that need for immediate gratification. And again, rewards don't have to be food or candy or money. They could be things like five or ten minutes playing a computer game, or um, time spent doing another fun activity that the child finds fun. Try to keep educational materials new and exciting, and also know that when the novelty wears off, some of the negative behaviors and the ADHD symptoms may increase or come back. So be very clear about expectations from the beginning before these behaviors sort of return. So at the beginning of a new year, a teacher you know, might be very clear about what the classroom room rules are and what will not be tolerated, rather than having to sort of talk about it for the very first time when the child starts actually displaying some of those difficulties because the novelty of the situation has worn off. Give reinforcement for desired behavior, behaviors as soon as possible. So an example I kind of just mentioned was, you know, once you finish your homework, you can play your video game. And provide one-on-one -on -one support when you know your child will need support in completing certain tasks. So in the classroom too, you know, a teaching assistant can help the child get started on their math questions, help them monitor their progress as they complete their work. And kids with ADHD often need um, more one-on-one -on -one support, check-ins from teachers and parents to ensure that they're actually on target and getting done what they're supposed to be getting done. So consider those tips as far as helping um, your child with that motivation factor and, and understanding that environmental characteristics can definitely make ADHD better or worse. And it's not about laziness, it's about understanding that that internal reward system is not functioning like everybody else's and so we need to find ways in daily life to support them with that and to help them with their motivation. If you want more information um, about ADHD, you can visit ADHDfamilies.ca for more, and we will join you next week for our myth number four as part of our ADHD Awareness Month. So thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. for listening to Inside ADHD, the official podcast for ADHDfamilies.ca. For more information about ADHD and how to help your child, visit ADHDfamilies.ca 
follow us on Twitter and subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or your favorite podcast player. If you have a specific ADHD topic that you'd like to hear about on our podcast, please send your suggestions to ADHDfamilies at canlearnsociety.ca.